Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Friday, January 12th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a podcast that is dedicated to scripture reading, to prayer, to devotion, and to script and to Bible study. Uh, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing some great work for the kingdom. I would encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you're going to find something over there you want to listen to. And there's a real good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right. Well, with it being Friday, last day of the work week, we're going to be doing our Bible reading this more for the morning segment. And then we're going to do our last Bible study for the week in John 17. We're going to wrap up this section about Jesus praying for his disciples, the part about as those whom the father has given him. And then we'll move on to the next section about him praying for his disciples next week, God willing. But so this will be John 17 verses nine and 10. We're going to deal with in the evening segment. So let's go ahead and open up with prayer. We're going to open up with the six day morning prayer called the gospel. Let's pray. Oh, thou most high creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners. Thy greatness is unsearchable, thy goodness infinite, thy compassions unfailing, thy providence boundless, thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right. Well, our morning devotion from Spurgeon's morning and evening uh, for, what is it? January 12th. January 12th. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the text for it is from 1 Corinthians 3.23. Ye are Christ's. Ye are Christ's. You are his by donation, for the Father gave you to the Son, his by his bloody purchase, for he counted down the price for your redemption, his by dedication, for you have been, I'm sorry, for you have consecrated yourself to him. His by relation, for you are named by his name, and made one of his brethren and joint heirs. Labor practically to show the world that you are the servant, the friend, the bride of Jesus. When tempted to sin, reply, I cannot do this great wickedness, for I am Christ's. Immortal principles forbid the friend of Christ to sin. When wealth is before you to be won by sin, say that you are Christ's and touch it not. Are you exposed to difficulties and dangers? Stand fast in the evil day, remembering that you are Christ's. Are you placed where others are sitting down idly doing nothing? Rise to the work with all your powers, and when the sweat stands upon your brow and you are tempted to loiter, cry, Do I 
I'm sorry, to cry, no, I cannot stop, for I am Christ's. If I were not purchased by blood, I might be like Issachar, crouching between two burdens. But I am Christ's and cannot loiter. When the siren song of pleasure would tempt you from the path of right, of right, reply, thy music cannot charm me. I am Christ's. When the cause of God invites thee, give thy goods and thyself away, for thou art Christ's. Never belie thy profession. Be thou ever one of those whose manners are Christian, whose speech is like the Nazarene, whose conduct and conversation are so redolent of heaven, that all who see you may know that you are the Savior's, recognizing in you his features of love and his countenance of holiness. I am a Roman, was of old a reason for integrity. Far more, then, let it be your argument for holiness. I am Christ's. All right. Well, our reading for today, we're going to re be reading from Genesis 26, verse 17, through all of Genesis 27. We're going to be reading Matthew 9, the first 17 verses, Psalm 10, verses 16 through 18, which is the end of that psalm, and then Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. So, Genesis 26, verse 17. Hear the word of the Lord. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. But the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he called them by the same names by which his father had called them. Then Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water. And the herdsmen of Gerar contended with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Ezek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they contended over it also, so he called it Sitna. Then he moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not contend over it, so he named it Rehoboth. And he said, At last Yahweh has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. And he went up from there to Beersheba. And Yahweh appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your seed for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of Yahweh and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug out a well. Now Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor Ahusath and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? Then they said, We see plainly that Yahweh has been with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us cut a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you, and have done to you nothing but good, and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of Yahweh. Then he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they arose early, and each swore to the other. Then Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. Now it happened on that day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. And Esau was forty years old, and he took as a wife Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and also Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they brought bitterness to Isaac and Rebekah. Genesis 27 Now it happened that when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see, that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and he said to him, Here I am. And Isaac said, Behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. 
So now please take up your gear, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening while Isaac was speaking to his son Esau. Then Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring to Isaac. But Rebekah spoke to her son Jacob, saying, Behold, I heard your father speaking to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of Yahweh before my death. So now, my son, listen to my voice as I command you. Go now to the flock and get for me two choice young goats from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father, that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. Then Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I will be as a mocker in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only listen to my voice and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made a savory dish such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the, his, took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and she put them on Jacob, her younger son, and she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory dish and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Then he came to his father and said, My father? And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Rise up, please sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. Then Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because Yahweh your God caused it to happen to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came near to Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game, that my soul may bless you. And he brought it near to him, and he ate. He also brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his garments. And then he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which Yahweh has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven, and of the fatness of the earth, and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. Now it happened that as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. Then he also made a savory dish and brought it to his father, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly violently and said, who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me, so that I ate of all of it before you came and blessed him? Indeed, he shall be blessed. As Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. 
Then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master. And I'm sorry, I have made him your master. And all his fellow brothers I have given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? And Esau said to his fathers, to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, O my father. So Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your habitation, and away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother's brother you shall serve. But it shall be when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Then the words of her elder son Esau were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. So now, my son, listen to my voice and arise. Flee to Haran, to my brother Laban. Stay with him a few days until your brother's wrath subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him. Then I will send and get you from there. Why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth like these, from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? All right, Matthew 9, the first 17 verses. And getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. And behold, they brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were afraid, and glorified God who had given such authority to men. And as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he stood up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it's, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the attendants of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. 
but they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. All right. And Psalm 10, verses 16 through 18. Yahweh is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his land. O Yahweh, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will cause your ear to give heed, to give justice to the orphan and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. Finally, Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor Yahweh from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst with new wine. All right. Well, that is our reading for the day. I thank you for spending this time with me again. I, I As I always say, I, I pray that this time together in the word, um, in the reading of the word helps to keep us saturated in it, um, which we definitely need to. Obviously, we still need meditation and Bible and study in it. But again, we need to be reading it. So I, 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 I pray that this helps us all to stay more saturated in it. I hope you have yourself a great day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. We're going to close up with one from a Valley of Vision. This one is called A Present Salvation. Let's pray. Creator and Redeemer God, author of all existence, source of all blessedness, I adore thee for making me capable of knowing thee, for giving me reason and conscience, for leading me to desire thee. I praise thee for the revelation of thyself in the gospel, for thy heart as a dwelling place of pity, for thy thoughts of peace towards me, for thy patience and thy graciousness, for the vastness of thy mercy. Thou hast moved my conscience to know how the guilty can be pardoned, the unholy sanctified, the poor enriched. May I be always amongst those who not only hear, but know thee, who walk with and rejoice in thee, who take thee at thy word and find life there. Keep me always longing for a present salvation in Holy Spirit com- for a present salvation in Holy Spirit comforts and rejoicings, for spiritual graces and blessings, for help to value my duties as well as my privileges. May I cherish simplicity and godly sincerity of character. Help me to be in reality before thee as in appearance I am before men, to be religious because I profess religion, to leave the world before I enter the church to set my affections on things above, to shun forbidden follies and vanities, to be a dispenser as well as a partaker of grace, to be prepared to bear evil as well as to do good. O God, make me worthy of this calling, that the name of Jesus may be glorified in me and I in him. All right, again, amen. By the way, sorry. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Friday, January 12th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, I should say. All right, we're going to continue with our study of John chapter 17. We're going to finish up this first part of Jesus praying for his disciples, the part uh, titled, As Those Whom the Father Has Given Him. Talking about those who, who's been, who have been given to Christ. They're given as a gift, and we've talked about that. But first, we're going to open up with prayer. Again, we're opening up with prayer from... At the, thr- at the Throne of Grace, it's a book of prayers from John MacArthur, 
Um, his children put this together. They're his prayers. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure you can find it over at gracetou.com, gty. I'm sorry, gty.org, excuse me. And uh, so we are going to do this. And as I've said before, these tend to lead in. They've got a scripture and then the prayer is based around the scripture. So this one is titled Adoring God for His Creation and Especially His Word. And the scripture is Psalm 19, verses 1 through 14. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clear, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warmed. I'm sorry, is warned. And keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. All right, and let's pray. O Father, the heavens speak clearly of your incomprehensible glory, and their expanse declares repeatedly the work of your hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge of you, our awesome creator. And this is speech that everyone can understand. The sun moves under your direction in a vast circuit. Your glory is on display throughout our solar system and beyond. From one end of the heavens to the other, we are in awe of your incomprehensible power. And yet even more wonderful to us than your glorious creation is the revelation of yourself in Scripture. Your law, testimony, precepts, commandments, and judgments, all of which are perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true, your word converts the soul, makes us wise, brings us joy, enlightens us, and produces righteousness in us. We therefore desire your word more than gold, finding it sweeter than honey. Precious Heavenly Father, all our delight is in you. The deepest longing of our hearts is to see and to celebrate your glory. We will not be truly satisfied until we behold your face in righteousness. That is why we now pour our, out our love and worship to you in prayer. We trust in your promises, rejoice in your faithfulness, glory in your goodness, hope in your word, believe in your Son, and rest in your grace. Thank you for enabling us to rest in full assurance. We know that past, present, and future are all in your care. We joyfully confess that your plan is best, your commandments are just, your wisdom is flawless, your power is supreme, and all your ways are perfect. You are full of loving kindness, merciful, holy, upright, and gracious, the fountain of all that is truly good. We yield to you as our King and our Redeemer, asking that your will be done in us. Give us hearts that trust without sighing or complaining about what your providence brings into our lives. 
Shower us with mercy and grace as you always do, and may we live in constant gratitude. Whenever we sin and act in a rebellious way, help us to recognize our folly quickly and repent. Then take away our mournful sorrow and emblazon our hearts with gladness. Fill our hearts with holy songs of praise. Restore us that we might be, be beacons of your grace. We come to worship you, Father, relying on your forgiveness and power, that we might enter your presence and be welcomed as true worshipers. We come in the name of our Savior. Amen. And I have it. There we go. Sorry. All right. And our devotion, as we've been doing this week, is from Thomas Watson's Glorifying God. And we're going to do it. It is obviously from uh, January, the January 12th. And our text for today is from 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All right. Um, let's see, it's, it's titled, Ascribe Glory to God Through Subjection. Subjection is when we dedicate ourselves to God and stand ready, dressed for his service. The angels in heaven glorify him. They wait on his throne and are ready to take a commission from him. Therefore, the angels are represented by the cherubims with wings displayed to show how swift they are in their obedience. We glorify God when we are devoted to his service. Our head studies for him. Our tongue pleads for him, and our hands relieve his members. The wise men who came to Christ did not only bow the knee to him, but presented him with gold and myrrh. We must not only bow the knee, give God worship, but bring presents of golden obedience. We glorify God when we, sti when we stick at committed and faithful service, when we fight under the banner of his gospel against, us, against an enemy, and say to him as David to King Saul, Thy servant will go and fight with the with this Philistine, for Samuel seventeen thirty two. A good Christian is like the sun, which not only sends forth heat, but shines round the world. Those who glorify God have not only their affections heated with heated with love to God, but they go there. I'm sorry, but they go their circuit too. They move vigorously in the sphere of obedience. All right. Well, that is our devotion for the evening here. And like I said, we're going to get back into our study of John 17. And give me just a second. Mm. Throat was drying out there a little bit. All right. Well, like I said, we're getting back into our study of uh, John 17. We're wrapping up this portion. Again, we've got this part. We talked about it, that the, that the prayer here in John 17, 1, we talked about that it is the real Lord's Prayer, not the other one. The other one is the disciples' prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. Um, again, this is a prayer between two parts of the triune God, two parts of deity here between the Son and the Father. Um, and that Jesus here, um, we've got this, this prayer breaks into three sections. The first five verses, Jesus prays for himself. Verses 6 through 19, he prays for the disciples. And then verses 20 through, I think, 26 is the end of the chapter. He prays for the church. And again, we talked about when he prays for himself, it's it's not a selfish, oh, please take this away. Oh, let somebody, dear Lord, let somebody else do that. It's, it's not that kind of thing. It's Lord, let your works be completed. Glorify yourself and glorify me. Glorify me in this work. You know, I, I, you've given me the right to give eternal life. So let's finish this work so I can give the eternal life and, and that in this eternal life, I, I can provide 
in this eternal life, I'm providing a relationship with you, God, with you, the only true God, and with Jesus Christ, whom you have sent with myself. But he goes on and he says, I've glorified you on the earth, having finished the work. So he's glorified God. He makes clear, I've glorified you. I've finished the work you've given me to do. Now glorify me together with yourself, meaning bring me home, bring me back to heaven. So we've seen that. So we've come to this second part. We started that here in the middle of the week. And this section here, so we've got this, Jesus praying for the disciples is broken into two. I think it's into two sections um, in, in, in my notes um, here. And Jesus prays for his disciple. This first part is about as those whom the father has given him. And we saw, um, we saw in the first part, um, hang on a second. And we saw in the first part here, the section, I'm sorry, I got to flip back to it. Um, I, I can't remember the name of it. I don't have the, my notes up for that part. Um, Oh, I'm still missing. There we go. Um, we talked about, well, actually when we started in the first, we talked about it in general. And then we dealt with, um, because they had believed in him as the son. So we're dealing with the, those whom the father has given him. So they were, they were given to him. They were given to Christ because they had believed in him as the son and because they were given to him from his father. So verses nine and 10 is those who were given to him as the father. And that's who, that's what we're going to deal with today. That's what we're going to deal with this evening um, as we try to move on through this. Um, and then we'll break into section two, which is more about as those whom he is about to leave. So this first part is about the fact that they've been given to him, that they were, that the father gave these disciples to him and, and in relationship. And of course we sit there and we go, okay, yeah, we're reading about the historical and there's a prayer about the historical and he's praying for the disciples, but he makes clear even in our verses today, um, actually, no, we'll see. Um, but of those you have given me for, they are yours. Actually, no, it even applies today in verse nine, but then you see it further on. Um, yeah, verse 20, when we go on to pray, praying about the church again, this is a, this is for us as well. I mean, he's praying about the disciples, but he's praying, praying about the church as well. Don't, don't think the disciples, we just go, Oh, it, it's like when I've talked about, um, when we, when we were doing, um, the Valley of Vision prayers last year, and some of those are ministers prayers. And I tried to, tried to say to you and make clear to you that, listen, yeah, these are ministers prayers, but the fact is we are all called to a ministry. We are all called to be ministers of the gospel. So we can't just blow that off. Um, text that we see about teaching and pastoring that would typically be called, I mean, you know, it's very easy for people to go. Oh yeah. First and second Timothy and Titus, those are the pastoral epistles. And so they want to blow them off. Well, no, there's guidance there. There's guidance there. There's theology there. There's so much there for we regular, we, we regular Christians. I mean, again, please, we've got to understand there's no hierarchy here. We are all adopted brothers and sisters of Christ. The only hierarchy above us is Jesus Christ and God. There, there's, there's nothing else. I mean, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So it applies to all of us. So we need to see that. So again, what we're looking at today is they were given to him from the father. Again, we've seen that they had manifested belief and, and 
so something I was realizing as I was preparing for this and I was reading back over the notes again, what we have to remember is, so this is Jesus praying. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is the son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. This is not, this is not you or I praying. And I probably should have said that different. My wife's probably, if she, if my wife listens to this episode, she's probably going to go, why do you do that? She likes to verbally red pin me. And she's right. Believe me, her, her, her English syntax is correct. Mine is not. Um, so I'm sorry if that was syntactically incorrect, but what we have to realize is, is while, while there are certain attributes, I was about to say that one wrong and I know better, certain attributes of Christ's deity that, that, that can manifest in his human form. His omniscience is one of them. Um, and what we do need to understand is that Jesus, in being perfectly righteous, that means that everything he does, he does within the will of God. He was even very, very clear up here um, in verse four. I glorified you on the earth, having finished the work which you have given me to do. It's not just the task, but God gave it him to do and do it in a perfectly righteous way. He could not have been the, uh, the perfect sacrifice, that propitiatory sacrifice to substitute for you and I on the cross to pay the price for our sins, had he not done it perfectly right. So in doing that, that means he did that work in the will of God, meaning he was perfectly in sync with the will of God when he did that, does this. So if that's so, and that makes sense based on what he has written here and what, how he has prayed, even just in this prayer, but you see it throughout the gospels and you see it in the epistles when they're talking about Christ. So if that is the case, then his prayer here is not like the prayer of uh, our prayers, where our prayers are like, Lord, if it's your will, do blah. We have to understand that the things he's praying for here, he's praying these things because he knows they're going, he expects them to be done. Actually, he, he not just expects, he knows they are going to be done. He knows God is going to fulfill them because he's praying perfectly in the will of God. The things he's praying for are the things he should be praying for because God wants him to pray for them. So we have to understand that when he's praying for these things, he's praying for these things because they will happen or they, they are true and they are happening again. Like I said the other night, you know, God doesn't say true things as we, we've said it before. And I didn't come up with that. Somebody else came up with that. And I, I it, it was, it was kind of a, wow, I could have had a V8 moment. God doesn't say true things. God is truth. Thus, the things he says are true. Well, Christ is God incarnate. Therefore, the things Christ says, because, because Christ is truth, the things he says are true. So if he's saying these things, they are happening. They are true. So again, we saw in verse 7 and 8. Um, well, actually, I'll back up to verse 6. So I'm going to read verse 6 through verse 10 of John 17, and then we'll, we'll really dig in here. So starting in verse six, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. Even in that they were yours, meaning they were gods, not that they were of the world. They were gods. They were gods chosen. Again, makes clear they were gods chosen, not of the world. They were gods chosen and you gave them to me that God gave them to Christ and they have kept your word. 
absolute truth. They've kept his word. They've been obedient. And we're going to look at that um, over in First John. We're going to look at that. Um, verse 7, now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. He's not just saying that because he thinks it. He's saying that because he knows that they've come to understand that everything they given that, that was given to Christ was from God. His tasks, his words, his teachings, all of that, the miracles, the power that he had to do, the miracles, they all came from God. And they know that. And it goes on verse eight, for the words which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me again, that confirmation. They know I'm the son of God. They know I'm yours. They know that you, that I'm deity. They know that you and I, that, 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 that God and Christ are in that tight, tight relationship. And I'm sorry, I need to pop up an, another verse here that I want to pull back out. Um, I, that I forgot to pull up. Like, give me just a second. Okay. So they know this. That's what Jesus is saying here. And then he goes on. Here are verses for today. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me for they are yours and all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. So that clearly explains our title here or for this section, because they were given to him from the father. Again, he's speaking of that. I, so, so let's look first at verse nine. He's asking here and he's speaking about it here. Excuse me. He says, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world but of those whom you have given me for they are yours. Again, he makes clear he's not asking on behalf of the world. And, and I would have to think, I mean, he may be talking about the world as a whole, but he's also talking about the world system. He is not asking on their behalf. He is not in any way, shape or form asking on behalf of the world. Way too many people want to sit there. The universalists want to sit there and say that God prays and wants to, and, and saves the world. That is not true. The scriptures are very clear about that. Yes, there is common grace. What I mean by common grace is, and we see it repeatedly in the scriptures where the scriptures talk of the fact that, um, the sun shines on the just and the unjust, that there, that there is a general, um, You know, there, there's a general, there's, there's a general love that God displays to people in general. Um, you know, he's, he pleads, God pleads with sinners to repent. Some will, some won't. He extends the gospel invitation to them. He causes his son here. Here we go. This is Matthew five causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But as MacArthur speaks of the intercessory work of Christ as the mediator, <laughs> that is only for those that are chosen. And, and I don't even say chosen. Hey, let's do it this of those you have, who God has given to Jesus. That is only on their behalf because they are his. We have to understand that. Let, let me be very, very clear. And, and this is going to ruffle feathers. The totality of mankind are not children of God. The children of God are those who are adopted through the saving work of Christ 
and who were regenerated and made able to be repentant and obedient through the work of the Holy Spirit. Those are God's children. We're all, we're, we're all created in the likeness of God. Thus, we are all image bearers of God. But we are not all children of God. And in this case, he's talking about the children of God. Verse 9, for they are yours. That is who Jesus is praying on. We have to understand the only documented prayer that Jesus makes in the Gospels for anybody other than those that are gods, those that are chosen, those that were elect before the, that were predetermined before the foundation of the earth is when he's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the only one recorded in four gospels where Jesus actually prays for those that are not gods. Those that are part of the world. It's the only one, the only time. So again, he's not praying for them. He's praying for those that have come to a saving faith. And again, this is an indication that these guys are maturing. These guys are progressing. These guys are, are moving to a place again, where they're grasping this. We saw this in seven, eight, they're grasping it. They're starting to be obedient to it. They're still struggling some again. Remember, we got to remember the culture they've come out of again, these, these, uh, disciples, they're, they're dealing with the fact they've come through a culture where they're, and we, we have to realize that, we, you know, it's really, really easy for us to take it as, oh, these guys, you know, up in their teens, 20s, whatever. But they've, they've, from, from, from the womb, they've, they've been taught and they've been raised in this idea that this Messiah is this earthly, this earthly savior, not, not this spiritual savior, savior, not this eternal savior kind of thing. They, they, you know, whether they should or not, um, from the prophets, I mean, the prophets are pretty clear about it. They're, they're not, they don't get it. They, they still think more, uh, worldly than anything. And, and, and we, we see that manifest throughout the history of Israel. Okay. I mean, thus, thus why Rome stomps them in 70 AD. So again, they're coming out of that, but, but they're starting to show, they're starting to really show this, this, this tendency, this understanding, this, this, this better grasp of what's going on, um, of what Christ is doing and of who Christ is. So they're getting it more and more. Um, but what we are seeing here, what we see here as we move into verse 10, note, and all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine. Okay. All things that are mine are yours and yours are mine. That statement is a claim to deity and full equality with the father. It's a clear statement of that. <clears throat> and all we have to do, honestly, go back to John one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Uh, when we dealt with that, I, I talked to you about it, that the Greek there word was with God. That is an intimate relational, I mean, closer than husband and wife, you know, kind of, kind of intimacy between the word, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son with the father, with God. So that's what he's stating there. I mean, we get, we have to see that in that light, all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine. 
And this is talking about everything, even talking about the fact that, um, that, um, what am I trying to say? The, the eternal deity itself is his, um, the power is his to, to do, to create. Again, we, we see very clearly that creation was made through Christ. So he manifested that power, the, the power he used to resurrect Lazarus. That was the power that created the universe, created everything. That's what he's saying there. He's making very, very clear and making clear to them. And, and, and it's all of that, but it's also that all things. So, so if we are God's children adopted as God's children, we are Christ's. And if we are Christ, we are God's children. Again, Christians, those of us that are brought to a saving faith in Christ, we are God's chosen one. We're his children, his subjects, his slaves. And I know people don't like to hear that, but we are. We are slaves of Christ. You're either a slave of Satan or a slave of Christ. You're a slave of sin or a slave of Christ. But what do, what do we see in John 10? We are his sheep. And like we talked about then, what a, what a perfect descriptor for us. Sheep, dumbest animal in the world, but, but that's us. That, that fits us. But, but we go on to see here, um, <clears throat> sorry, but what they're, what they're starting to see there is that, um, they, they're starting to manifest this. They're starting to manifest this belief and, and Jesus is being clear that, and, and that these are mine. These people are mine. These, these people you've given me. He's not asking on behalf of the world. He's asking of, on the behalf of those whom you have given me for they are yours. And then he, you know, like I said, he goes on with all, all th these things are mine and yours are mine. And he goes on. I have been glorified in them, glorified in them. Now think about it. He's been glorified in them. He's been glorified in those disciples. He's been glorified in you and I, um, Paul is very, very clear about this. First Corinthians 10. This is very, very clear. This is the behavior of the Christian or supposed to be verse, uh, first Corinthians 10 verse 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's why I tell you every time I finish out the morning segment and wish you to have a good day. I can, uh, I, I always say, I continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. We should all, if we are truly Christians, we should do all to the glory of God. And that's what Jesus is starting to see in them. That's why he's praying the way he has. And he's made the statements he's made so far that we've covered and he'll continue to make is that they are glorifying him that, it, that it, in we Christians, those of us that are given to Christ, we're given to him as an inheritance. We've talked about that. We're given to him as an inheritance. And thus we glorify him. We go, we glorify him. Um, so again, we, we continue to do so, but what we, what we have to, <clears throat> but in that we, we have to, we have to realize that we are his, we are given to him. And that's not something we have to ever question. I know we struggle with, with assurance. I know I do. I know we do. We have an immutable God and, and thus with Christ being God incarnate, we have an immutable Christ and therefore his salvation maintains. So, but we see Romans 10 verses nine and 10. 
that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, leading to righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, leading to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes upon him will not be put to shame. If we've come to that true faith where we've confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that he raised us from the dead. And again, remember, we're talking when we're talking heart here, we're not talking about feelings. We're talking from the core of our being that God raised him from the dead. Now, admittedly, these disciples, he Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead yet, but they've seen him raise somebody from the dead already. And within days they're going to see Christ raised from the dead and they're going to believe. And the empowerment of that, the, the, the way these guys manifest, the, the, the way they, they behave, um, when most people in the world at that time, they would, they would have run for the Hills and they'd have never looked back. They'd have never come back. But the confidence they showed, the confidence Jesus is showing here in praying this way, but the confidence that these that these men are going to end up manifesting comes from the fruit of their faith. Um, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through, I think 3 through 9. Yeah, 3 through 9, I'll read to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you. So our inheritance doesn't go away. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So we're going to have trials. These guys are going to have various trials that, we're, that we've been talking about in John. But even in spite of that, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, this is Peter. This is one of those there that's sitting there when Jesus prays this, but he nails it for us. We're going to go through trials. They, they went through trials. They watched him die. Well, they ran from him dying. John's the only one who actually saw it happen. But they knew he was in the tomb. I mean, again, the women followed to figure out where it was. And they went back and told them that, yeah, he, he was dead and he was laid in the tomb. They knew. There were no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They knew he was dead. Yet he was raised. And even as much as they had run, and as, even as much as it, as it is easy for us to try to throw them under the bus... That confidence came and part of it came from these prayers. Again, Jesus is seeing a strength there. He's seeing them start to be obedient. Which is why Jesus knows he's theirs. First John two, verse three. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments again, they were keeping his commandments. I mean, they've walked with him for three years. Believe me. 
their life, I, it's very, very easy for us to sit there and act like it was no big deal. I, I know there were people supporting them, but believe me, this this was not, while, while the teaching was glorious, I mean, why, why else would Jesus say, you know, the foxes have holes and the and I forget the rest of that, but he basically makes clear, I don't have a place to rest my head. That's what they've been living for three years now. That's all they've had. So it hasn't been this great vacation, this interesting um, sojourn. It's been a lot, of, a lot of great learning, but it hasn't been smooth sailing. We have, we have to really get, get beyond that. So it has not been easy. And now when they thought, you know, hey, oh boy, he's about to be glorified. You know, look at this. You know, he's, uh, you know, the triumphal entry and he's about to come into his kingdom and all of that. And then he washes their feet and he make, continues to make clear, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be killed. And it's fallen apart. But they're still showing the obedience. And he's seeing them start to grasp. And that's why he's praying for them. He's praying for them to keep them strong. He's praying for them to take the right steps. He's praying for them to be obedient to God's will. That's what he's praying for. And so we've seen today in his prayer that he's praying about those whom the father had given him because they were given to him from the father. And that's going to do it for this evening. Um, as I said, we'll try to pick back up with part two of this Jesus praying for his disciples next week. All right. Well, thank you for spending this evening with me. I, I'm sorry. I had to actually break partially, partially in the middle here um, of this because of something going on here at the house. So I'm sorry if it got a little disjointed. It happens. But I thank you again for spending the time with me. I hope I hope it helps all of us to get a better understanding of the scriptures. And I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening. I hope to see you tomorrow. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the six-day evening prayer. It's called the Mediator. Let's pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee, not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me, and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator, in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be prince and saviour. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings without ceasing to abhor sin or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in his service as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love to live not to ourselves but to him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits. May we bless and praise thee, 
at all times. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a great night, and I hope to see you tomorrow. Have a good night. God bless.